Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener. And that's what you do. You listen and this is a podcast for the curious folk. That's right. Those people that want to explore, that won't rest on their laurels. They feel as though there is more to discover and they come here to do it. And God bless you. Last podcast of 2019. How about that, right? Your boy took you right to the final day of the year. Here we go, y'all. December 31st, the day that this podcast is being dropped. That's it. We're about to cross that invisible imaginary border into what we will project to be a new year. But inevitably, we know that it'll... It will probably be more of the same, let's be honest, because New Year's resolutions don't work. None of it works. It's just more of the same. You're still you at the crack of midnight. Sure, you're going to be a little coked up, and you you probably ate some ridiculous over-the-top meal that you really didn't need to do, but, you know, it felt necessary because... You know, we've all decided as a people that it's something to celebrate, that we've made one more, you know, rotation around the sun. So you're all hopped up on fucking, you know, lobster tail and cheap steak and that Colombian calcium, that booger sugar, that white lady, the white rider. You know what I'm saying? Some, uh, you know, some of Pablo Escobar's smelling salts, right? You've been drinking probably at a club, probably overpaid for some bullshit bottle service or, you know, felt stressed out to take your partner somewhere epic when really it's just a goddamn money pit this holiday. You're not getting anything more special, but all of a sudden, just because, you know, the new year is a coming, all the restaurants and the clubs can charge double. This is bullshit. Or maybe, worst of all, you've like, you know, Paid money to ring in the new year with Pitbull at some club in Miami for an exorbitant amount of money. And yeah, Pitbull's going to perform. And is he always a good show? Of course, Mr. 305 is always a good show. But he'd be a good show any other day of the year. And it probably wouldn't cost you as much. And I don't mean to be a penny-pinching miser because the reality is I got a little bit of scratch in the bank. I'm doing fine. It's the goddamn principle. Anyway, the holidays were nice. <laughs> I went up north with my wife's family for Christmas, and it was lovely. It, you know, it always is. She comes from good stock, good white people of the Irish and the German persuasion. I was talking to one of her cousins while I was up north, and he was like, I'm not really sure what our family tree is like. And I said, whatever your background or your family tree is, I can assure you that many of them over generations did not like my people. Because <laughs> the whites of that German Nordic persuasion over time have proven to not be huge fans of the Jews up into the 40s. Then it sort of all exploded, and now everything's copacetic and beautiful. I've been to Germany. It's lovely. Angela Merkel, killing it. Prime Minister, what a person. She's unbelievable. The fucking driving engine of the EU, Germany is. I know facts. Anyway. 
Christmas. It was all, you know what? It was all lovely. I was there with my kid. Was it relaxing? Yeah, maybe not. You know, I'm slowly but surely starting to realize that once you enter a, you know, some spawn into the world, when you conceive a, a human being in which you have to take care of, that this whole idea of relaxation is is highly misunderstood and and for the most part probably not um, achievable. You know, you go into like a quasi relaxed place, right? When you put the kid down at around six thirty or seven, and and then just you know the world is yours. You're like, I don't know, what am I gonna? This, I have so much to do. I could do anything. I'm gonna go to the gym. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna clean out the pantry. Then I'm gonna watch uh, three movies I've been meaning to see. Listen to three albums. Read a book. Make love to my wife, and you know, maybe uh, do some uh, charity. Yeah, the charity in between the love making and the cleaning out of the pantry. I'm gonna do something good for someone, and it don't work like that. It don't happen like this. Okay, you sit, and then you can't believe that the kid went to sleep, and then you stuff your you know your dumb face because that's what we all do, right? When, you know, we're a little, uh, when we're faced with uh, having a bit of time on our hands, the easiest thing is just, well, I should probably eat something. I'm not hungry, but, you know, it seems like the right thing to do. Calm the old nerves. So you eat, and then you feel lethargic, and then you forget that you've just spent 12 hours or 14 hours with a fucking toddler who is ridiculously cute and absurdly joyful but exhausting so that starts to set in you realize you're tired then you start to project of like oh my god i gotta get so much done so tired it's so much done and then you know i by like nine o'clock you realize i do it tomorrow i'll wake up before he does I'll wake up before the baby does. The baby wakes up at five thirty. I wake up at three, and I'll be. I'm gonna. I'm a Navy SEAL. I wake up early, and I'll do. I'll do all. I've got to do everything. I'll clean the pantry, and make the love, and oh God. And you know, you know, you don't do anything. You go to bed, and then you get startled awake in the middle of the night. Because you, you and you look at your wife and you go, "Is he crying? Is he crying? Did you?" Okay, sorry, sorry, I'm tired. But that was it. But it was a nice time. My wife's got a lovely family. They're all good people. And yet, despite the fact that they're like pretty unencumbered by like the tropes of family and dysfunction and whatnot, you know, there's still a little bit of family drama here and there. Because what it's revealed to me is that no one is immune to it, you know? family gossiping one side about the other somebody's annoyed with what one cousin did or what one brother or sister you know they're putting their feelings and their 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 agenda first not thinking about the crew the pact that seems to be the driving force behind what i find people in their 20s and 30s get annoyed about at family functions when there's one outlier who the pact feels is not serving the greater good. The greater good of the pact. 
and they're off doing their thing, going and getting blowouts at the dry bar or, you know, boozing it up with their college friends, and they're not serving the family agenda. And we're all here for the family, and you're not doing that, and that makes me grr, angry. <laughs> kind of makes me happy to not have a family of my own. I mean, I do, and I have some nice cousins and whatnot, but, you know, the reality is that can't imagine. I mean, my wife comes from a huge Irish Catholic family, and they're awesome. But if I had my own massive family, they would, you know, the delegating would get tough. Figuring out who to hang out with at what time, that would not be easy. So now I'm just kind of like the wonderful adopted, you know, Jewish son of this beautiful uh, Irish brood. And I, I, do, uh, I do like it. So... I don't know what I'm going to, you know, I opened up this podcast talking about how it's ridiculous to like have New Year's resolutions and whatnot. And and yet I do feel like an interesting shift. And I don't know what that is. If I'm telling on myself and I'm being slightly transparent, I really worked really hard in the last three weeks to like, in my alcoholic type way to overdo it, you know to like put a lot of things into motion so that I could like put a, pull a hard stop on everything like on the 20th or the 21st when everything started shutting down and we were going up north for Christmas like basically that I was just gonna like plant a fucking forest like just plant trees everywhere just trees of money and then I was gonna you know retire to high ground and just watch it pollinate. Watch the trees grow as I'm drinking fucking virgin eggnog and eating far too many carbs over the holiday season. And quickly into this time, I realized that, you know, in doing this, I completely overdid it in a way that, A, was not fruitful. It, it, it in fact, impeded me in some areas where it just, like, felt sweaty and that I was trying too hard. And it made me utterly anxious and uncomfortable and, and, and made it hard, really hard for me to sort of relax um, at the beginning of this holiday. But now we're like two weeks into the holiday break or like we're into the second week and I'm finally starting to let go a little bit. And this is like the first time in my life and I don't know if other people can identify with it, but you know, being a 33-year-old man and I've talked to other friends about this there's a specificity to my experience as of late. I feel more tuned in and aware of like where I am as a person in like my own journey, which I never was before. Like most of my life has been um, sort of defined by, you know, raising myself up, you know, by my bootstraps, like perseverance, I guess would be a good word for it. Like, when I was a teenager, I really wanted to like get in shape and get healthy. And then I really wanted a party. And I really wanted to like rewrite the history of the first 10 years of my life. And I did it, but in like a super negative, you know, addict y way to where I almost lost everything. And then I got sober, and that sort of defined my life. And then it all became about like rewriting the history of my youth and. You know, making people understand that I was like more than just like whatever they saw me on television or, or, or whatever their perception was of me. And it was like, how do I prove to the world that I'm I'm a value and that I can actually do something that's like dope and worthwhile? 
all while being utterly, you know, terrified of finance and financial well-being and being able to support my mom and, and eventually my wife who, who, you know, I, you know, I got to look out for them and it's my pleasure and now a kid. So I got, you know, I got three people in my pack that I got to, I, you know, I got to hunt for. <laughs> I fucking hate myself for saying that. It's so butch. It's so, mi- you know, um, for, um, it's like some Joe Rogan shit. I love Joe Rogan, but it's, you know, it just sounds very like masculine. Um, but you know, my, my, you know, my twenties were sort of categorized by this, which was like surviving, persevering and achieving. And so now I'm in my thirties and I was lucky enough to like make a little bit of scratch. And so have some of that financial security. I met a great person who I'm really lucky to be with. We created this great spawn, this wonderful baby child who's got my wife's everything but he's got you know I can just I see it behind the eyes he's got a little bit of my kookiness and I like it I love it he's got a little little bit of the crazy in there in like a fun way like sometimes my kid and I look at each other and granted it was just his first birthday yesterday and I'm like oh fuck yeah yep a fellow traveler huh you're one of me huh and I, he looks back at me and he doesn't say it, but I see it in his eyes. So, you know, I think that's a good mix. If I could have, you know, created a kid where it was 90% my wife and 10% me, I think that is, you know, we've created a winner. Without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm in my 30s and I kind of feel a little bit like I got to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And, like, I know what I want to do. Like, you know, I do it. I'm doing it now. I'm talking to you. I'm doing This is what I want to do. This is my life. But, you know, I think anyone worth their weight in salt, if they've, you know, uh, not completely sort of ruined their 20s with excessive fucking partying and, and squandering their potential, if they've built anything, you know, you sort of, you kind of have the freedom and the privilege in your 30s to kind of take a real look at shit and say, all right, I'm, I'm a third through it and I'm gonna have like the second third of my life to be really you know this is nobody slows down quite yet not if you live well so you know life's life's in session and what do you know what's it gonna look like how do I want to approach it what do I want to do what's fun what am I truly passionate about what brings me joy and not just financial security and am I able to tell the difference between it because I do get a lot of fucking joy from financial security I think we all do okay I've had quite a lot of friends who say I don't worry about money I'm like because you grew up rich sounds like a rich kid but any of us who had to fucking you know hustle and get our lives together we know what it means to not have to worry about fucking rent on the first I lived my life for too many years where you fucking paid rent and then you started counting down the days, 28 days, so I got to fucking do it again. Jesus, I got to shake it up. You know what I'm saying? So as an adult, I think it's, it's easy to confuse stability and financial security with true fulfillment. And it's a balance, right? Because you can't just strive for, you know, utter fulfillment. I mean, I guess you can, but I'm not a monk. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to live in this world under the terms of of, you know, the the rules of engagement for a, you know, a capitalist society. 
America. Maybe, maybe I'll move to Tibet to Tibet one day, but I don't like sleeping on floors. And I don't want to shave my head. But nevertheless, it's an interesting time. It's a privilege because most people are not afforded the opportunity for self-reflection. Most of the world is, they're just trying to fucking get by every day and make enough money to eat and keep the fucking lights on. So I have to be careful of that as well. You know what I'm saying? The psychological renaissance in the last hundred years is not by chance. It's not like, you know, uh, it's not arbitrary that, you know, Carl Jung and Freud and any of the great thinkers of the last hundred years in modern psychology has been introduced. It's because we're not worried about freezing to death anymore. You know, we've got mass agriculture and food. And we know that, you know, for the most part, if you live, you know, if, if you live in the first world, that, that there's a good chance you're going to be all right, even if you don't have much means. And that is a great privilege. And thus it affords us the opportunity to like self-reflect a little bit and like look at our life and say like, well, what, what, all right. So I, I know that my meals are probably going to be, you know, taken care of for indefinitely and that there's probably a good chance I'm not going to freeze to death. So I guess I'll focus on what makes me happy. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting conundrum. Or it's just life. I don't know, but I feel happy to share it with you guys, and I feel, you know, happy to be living it. It's a good time. It's a good time. All right. Thank you to the Curious Podcast listeners for 2019. We've now been on the air for, I think this is the 86th episode. And I love this. And I could not do what I do without you guys. I so appreciate you listening. And I so appreciate the opportunity to get to do something like this. Because so much, I know one of my capital T truths is born out of um, being incredibly curious and inquisitive about people that I find fascinating. And every week, the Curious Podcast gives me an opportunity to do just that, to interview people that I look up to, that I'm um, interested by, and, and people that under normal circumstance I might never have an opportunity to talk to. So thank you for uh, listening and for supporting the pod because I couldn't do it without you. Emotional? Yeah. All right. That's enough of that. On today's pod, Dennis Rodman. You know him. Great athlete. Brilliant. Chicago Bulls. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant athletic person. <laughs> um, one of the greatest rebounders to ever live. Played with Scottie Pippen. And and Michael Jordan was coached by Phil Jackson. I think they won six championships. Um, and then his personal life has been just as fascinating from the beautiful, interesting people that he has been married to and uh, has been with to his uh, most recent endeavor, which has been uh, his trips to North Korea and being sort of like an unofficial ambassador um, between America and North Korea. And his relationship with Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea. So, let me give you a quick backstory about, about how this all sort of came about with how I was able to interview him. I get a random DM on Instagram one day from Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. I am not expecting this. 
I do not expect that Dennis Rodman is a fan of Josh Beck. But I don't think he knows who the fuck I am. I still don't, and we spent three hours together. But my suspicion is, is that he was working with some kids, some younger folk in their 20s and 30s that are very aware of the things in which I do. Perhaps they grew up with me. And when Dennis Rodman decided to have his own podcast, which he has his own podcast, which I will attach the name and a link to it in the show notes, um, I think they said, you know, Josh Peck, whatever, he's relevant, people my age liked him, you should, you know, have him on your podcast. Anyway, I get a, I get a DM from Dennis Rodman, he says, Josh, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I go, Dennis, anything for you, baby. Anything for you. But... I'm going to do your pod. I'd really appreciate it if after we could do mine. You know, it's, uh, as our president would not say, it's quid, quid pro quo. There was no quid, quid pro quo. But it was a little quid pro quo. You do for me, I'll do for you. So I go to Orange County, which is a weird part of fucking California, to go interview him for this podcast. We do the pod first for him. Dennis, nice enough guy. Again, I'll reiterate, I don't think he has any fucking idea who I am. And I don't think he cared, but he was nice enough. Fine. We do his podcast. It went great. It's very interesting. He's kind of doing this like quasi Jerry Springer type vibe feel for his pod, um, which you should listen to. I don't think our episode aired yet, but it was fucking wild. And then we recorded mine. And uh, he, you know... I can't wait for you guys to hear this. It starts out a little rough. He clears his throat a lot. No problem. But I actually think we wound up having a really interesting discussion, and it got better and better throughout the pod. I really appreciate his time. I still don't think he knows who I am. <laughs> no, I. you know, the reality is I don't, I, I don't really care. Um, but more so, I just, you know, again, someone like Dennis Rodman, who's lived this incredible life, who's really thoughtful and interesting and who has accomplished so much. And when you sit with the man, it, it all sort of comes into focus. You realize just how much he has achieved and sort of the unbelievable life that he's lived and the challenges that he's persevered through. So the fact that he did the pod, I think is really dope and I really appreciate it. So thank you, Dennis, for doing the podcast. I can't wait for you guys to listen. Enjoy Dennis Rodman. Um, Dennis, thanks for doing this. Are we on? Yeah, we're live. Great. Uh, here we are, sitting in your podcast studio. Are we? Yeah, we are. Hmm. What's this like? I don't know. As awning. <laughs> what are you, awning Persian? There it is. He's full of Persian. He's behind you. He's <laughs> full of Persian. That's his son right there. There's That's a, his son right there, right? His son right there. I'll paint the picture for the right. viewers. Or for the listeners, right. we've got a multicultural crew here at the right. Dennis Rodman podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, Miguel. Miguel. Okay, Miguel right there. Um, can you believe your life? Mm-hmm. Can you believe what a life you've had? Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> Why? I can believe it. Just like you, right? <clears throat> you believe your life you had? I mean, you having? I mean, uh, my life has been pretty specific, but nothing Not specific, nothing close to yours. Uh, so basically, your whole life has been more, being Jewish has been more structural. Structure? Yeah, structure. In what way? You know, just structure. You know, you got to go to 
temples and whatever things you guys do, you know, stuff like that. You got to listen. You got to do it. And uh, as far as birthday. Sure. Many of us, yeah. we do go to the temples. Yeah, the temples, right? <laughs> Did you grow up with any kind of religion or any of that <clears throat> stuff? Not really. Yeah. Not really. Mother used to play for the church, but um, we, put, we pretty much were just there <laughs> just because she wanted us to be there. Yeah, just hanging out. Yeah, hanging out. What You were born in Jersey, right? Trent. Trenton. I think I was. <laughs> That's what they told me. <laughs> Beautiful middle Jersey oh Trenton. Oh, my God, dude. Speaking of. <clears throat> Man. Yeah, speaking of. And it was like the heart, heart flagship right there for <clears throat> communities. Yes, for oh, my people. Oh, yeah, that's flagship. Seems to be where we originate from there in uh, Long Jersey. Island. Mm -hmm. Long Island. You like Jewish people? I love them. Uh, we're, we're not bad, right? Oh, no, not at all. You know, I've always said, <clears throat> if there was a black athlete, there's a Jew behind him. <laughs> so, so is that Jews right there? It's a lawyer. So basically, you know, we get along together. So, I, guess I, I get along with every culture. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's it matter. it's no color. No color in my eyes. It's just more like if you if you're good, you're good. And when? How old were you when you moved to Dallas? I have no clue. But you grew. Did you pretty much spend your adolescence there? Until <clears throat> um, I was like. Mm. Like two to twenty-two, two to twenty, twenty years. And what was that like? What was it like? Well, I know that you didn't really have a relationship with your dad, which I identify with because I didn't. I never met my pops. Oh well, you know, living in the ghetto in the projects, what would you expect? You know, mm. when you kick rocks, you play. You know tic-tac-toe with crayons and stuff like that on the concrete. Hey, what do you think? We had fun. Actually, we did have fun because that's all, that's all we had. So, like, so. That's interesting. So there wasn't really an awareness of anything else. So. Oh, no, I wasn't awareness because we all thought about just, you know, just living in our own community, doing our own things and stuff like that. So we really didn't have any no conscience of what's going on around us as far as the world. Mm. We were just living, you know, in the projects in the ghetto. That was our world. So when you look back at your childhood, do you think fondly about it? I think it was cool. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> gives you a lot of respect to live today, you know. I think that's where I got my work ethic as far as living like that and living in, in Oklahoma. So basically, you know, I don't take anything for granted. What, and you have a lot of, you. We <laughs> <laughs> got some Virginia. <laughs> We have, we've got a beautiful crew here. We're yeah, so, we do, right? I don't think I've ever had this big of an audience for the podcast. It's great. Right. <clears throat> it's like a live episode. All right. What, um, you have a lot of siblings. I do. I actually got two of my two sisters. I, I had read something like you've got like a- Oh, you mean those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you mean those guys. Oh, you mean my so-called father has like 49 kids or some shit like that with like 16 different wives. Holy shit. That's what the story is. So I had 29 kids, 49, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot. Have you ever met any of them? No. Well, I met one. And? <clears throat> I think it was at 1998. 19, I was in Seattle at, at the Ritz Carlton. Some kid, like six foot nine kid, come up to me, light skinned, looks just like me. And I'm saying, okay, great. The guy came to, up to me and said, Dennis, you know me? Nope. And I guess he had this little white woman that was like 250 pounds, looked overweight, whatever. And she said, well, this is your stepbrother, whatever you want to call him. And she said, I said, well, whatever. I got to go in the hotel. <clears throat> so she pulls out this birth certificate. 
And my, he said, this is your dad's name. So I'm his ex-wife. This is your brother or something, something like that. I said, whatever, great. So I really didn't pay attention to it until I actually looked back. They were sitting in the lobby. I kept looking at these kids. And he looks just like me a little bit. And I said, well, then I talked to him. <clears throat> Next thing you know, like, like wow. And I said, wow. And she said, well, he has a lot of kids with 16 different wives. I'm like, whoa. So That's she was just one of many. She was just one of many. <laughs> and, and his name is Philander. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> sure. Right? So, yeah. And what, and did it inspire you to want to meet any any of your other siblings? No, no. no. Do you no. ever keep up with him? No. 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 They didn't think, didn't think two, <clears throat> two things about him. I didn't, you know. You see. I was, I was, if I was, if I ever met him, I put him and say, okay, I'll be friends with you. I wouldn't call you dad or father or whatever. I wouldn't do nothing like that. <clears throat> So you seem like a pretty incredibly focused person. Would you say that? Yeah, I'm focused when things don't go right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually focused though, outside, you know, doing stuff like this. I'm focused on what I want to do and how I want to live. And, you know, the days, the rest of the years I have left to live. So I'm pretty focused on a lot of things. Do you, where did you find that? Where was that born out of as a young man? Was that just out of necessity because you didn't want to continue to live where you grew up? I think when you live, <clears throat> when you live like how most of us lived back in the mid '60s and early '70s, most of the '70s, I think you pretty much have aspiration about doing certain things. My most of my aspiration more like trying to be an athlete, a track star. You know, track star, you know, you go outside, you, you imitate people on TV and stuff like that, and you go out there and try to be what you're not, what you're not. And then <clears throat> when you know that your dream's not going to come true, then all of a sudden you try to think of other things. As for sports-wise, <clears throat> we weren't thinking about doing, like, Google or Amazon and stuff like that back then, <laughs> or whatever, having flip phones, you know, cell phones, stuff like that. No. You know, if you had, like, a Toys Us phone, you, you, actually, <clears throat> you actually communicated with someone. A pager. So, a pager, right. So... Miss Pages. That's what we had. Is it true that you were five six in high school as a freshman? Five six in freshman, yep. So when did you hit the growth spurt? I think when I was twenty, twenty one. I'm thirty two. Is there still hope for mine? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's your culture, man. It's the it's the culture for my right? Jew genetics. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just gen- saying it. It's, it's, the, it's the genetics. <laughs> Damn it! But it's actually it's actually funny though as we talk about you know the Jewish community. You know, it's only been actually three Jewish people that's ever played in the NBA. No, there must be more. Not me, actually. You know, hundred percent Jews. I mean, it's only been three. Only three. Three. Who? She'll look it up one day. I was. I will. It's only three. Because we're good at baseball, right, Sandy Koufax? Oh, well, there's a lot of Jews that play baseball, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's more... Do they play hockey? Yeah, the Matty Schneider. There are a couple. <laughs> <laughs> just they won. <laughs> like, you have a whole cl- you know, collage of them, you know. It's like, just like us, we, we uh, all of a sudden win hockey now, black people. You guys are great. I don't know what you're saying. They're from f- fucking Quebec. P.K. Subban. <laughs> they like from New York, you know, or Dallas or L.A. Hell no. But it's like, it's a lot of black, you know, hockey players now. But it was just a matter of time, right? It's just that you oh, guys yeah. didn't have, it wasn't it as wasn't, readily. No, it wasn't It wasn't introduced to us till like probably the late 90s. Mm. You know, so, you know. But uh, it's, it's funny, though. <clears throat> it's funny how the NBA used to be predominantly all white. But now, look at it now. It's like it's, it's reversed, huh? 
and stuff like that. It's pretty much all black. But uh, <clears throat> and the NFL. Well, yeah, but uh, it don't means that they're, they're less fortunate than we are. It's just more like I guess <clears throat> it's just it's different. It's different, but it's like everyone likes the game. It's just who has the most talent. Pretty much what it comes come down to. Was there? I always, I'm always slightly jealous because in my world, in the creative sort of entertainment of it all, there's so many things that are out of your control, right? Like, oh yeah, especially in your business. Yeah, the 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 entertainment pro- entertainment business as far as like in Hollywood. <clears throat> yeah, your look, the project you oh, just yeah. came off of, all this stuff. That's tough. I'm pretty sure that's tough out there because it's like you're always competing. Mm. You're always competing with the, you know who you know. That's what pretty much what it is now, and I think that Hollywood has, has transcended into where you're hot today, but you're hot, not hot tomorrow. You know, it's always they always moving in a different direction all the time. Yeah. So, was there something reassuring about the fact that because you, what you do is so based on points and stats, that as long as you put in the work, you in theory would see a result? Well, <clears throat> I think. It's all about how you do it in sports. I think if you have a, a knack for doing <clears throat> playing rebound, playing hard, I think they, they give you more respect like that. I think if you go in and just last few days ago and just nonchalant, I think that pretty much you'd be playing in your – that's pretty much what it is. Is is there things that annoy you about players in today's game? Yep. <laughs> so, but Dennis, I feel like there's more there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just think that today's game is more based on money and driven. I think a lot of players don't really give a damn. Mm. So I think it's more like, you know, people, athletes, bitch, complain about, you know, they don't have enough money. They're not doing this, not doing that. Now, since they got the money, now they're still bitching. They don't want to play all these games. I'm like, damn. I wish we had that option back then. Shit, not playing ninety-two games a year. You know, they want to start playing. <clears throat> they want to play like seventy-two games a year. I'm like, wow, you got forty million dollars to play that. Do that, right? Shit, people would die for that. What's it like when? I mean, because you do play an incredible amount of games in basketball. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling during the season? Are you beat down all the time? Are you run down? Well, it depends on what type of shape you're in. I mean, I used to be in the gym. 24-7. I mean, I'll go party all night, get like five hours of sleep, and then hit the gym, stay in shape. That, that pretty much motivated me more than anything, just stay in the gym, you know, staying fit. You know, I couldn't be 300 pounds, six foot eight, and try to play basketball, no. You know, so <clears throat> that just motivated me more than anything, just be in the gym a lot. So you could go out to the club. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking bottle service. I think everybody in the world knew what I did back then. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm thinking some dry goods, Dennis. Oh, yeah. Some of that booger sugar. Oh uh, well, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just saying. Either way, man, I, I go play a game. Just keep fans. I, I go play a game. We get out about nine thirty. Go to Gibson's. Eat a nice steak. Yeah. And hit the strip club. Hit the strip club till like twelve thirty one. Hit the club next door <clears throat> till like five. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden. Go home at six, <clears throat> wake up at fucking ten, practice. Then after that noon, work out. After that workout, go to lunch. Then go to lunch, go out all night, go back, do the same thing over again. I did that for three years straight. And did you miss a step? Did you see it affect your game, or you were just as good? No, that's why I started worked out so much. <clears throat> I kept my body in, in good condition. That's unbelievable. I, believe me, I'm surprised I made it through that. It was it was hard sometimes. I mean, I haven't had a drink in over ten years, but when mm. I did, it would take me weeks to recover. Well, 
Depends if if you. It's a Jewish thing, Dennis. Just no, saying. I'm not saying it. It has nothing to do with no Jewish thing. I no, saw I your no, face. No, if, if, it's like if you train yourself to do something, and you and you're so and you're good at if you're good at drinking, your body can take that. If you're good at doing drugs, your body can take that. But if you're good at sports, same thing. You can take that. You know. So you know, once you get to that age, it's like, oh my god. So you so it's you know mid 90s. You're walking into the strip club at 1 a.m. Are you a king? Are you greeted like King Rodman? No, not really. What's your greeting like? <laughs> What's the greeting like? Hey, <clears throat> what do you want? Like, it's like to, cheers, they, they, Dennis. They, no, they, they don't have to. They don't have to ask me. They always know what I want. What hey, did you, you want? want? Usual. You want your usual? You want with the boot over here? You want to sit over here? Yeah. You know, I probably hit every strip club in America, probably in the world. <laughs> so over thirty years. Does it ever? And does the allure of strip clubs ever wear off? No, because because <laughs> that's where they keep the naked women. No, mainly I go to strip club because I don't get bothered. Why is that? Because you want to go in and have a good time, just relax and don't just just relax and be at peace. If you go to a nightclub or to a lounge, everyone want to come up to you with cameras in your face and want to take pictures of you and stuff like that, and it's annoying all night long. <clears throat> but in strip clubs, they leave you alone and you just have a good time with your friends. And there's good security at strip clubs. It don't matter security or not. People respect you. They don't come. You can't go in a strip club and start taking pictures of everybody. So it's right. not allowed. So that's why you go there. That's why I go there. The women they come second. Having been famous now, I mean, for over thirty years, you've sort of lived through this transition from it used to be autographs. Now everyone's got a camera in their phone and wants a picture. I've said this for years ago. I said this is going this is going to change. People don't want autographs anymore. They want to be a part of it. So pictures going to be the next thing. So people start to catch on on that. Now it's going to be something else. Now they want they want audio visual of you <clears throat> talking to them as you as you their friend. They want a so boomerang. They, they want to do everything about that now. So okay, great. This is my friend. See, I'm, I'm with him now. So basically, they want visual and audio. <laughs> so instead of pictures, does that annoy you? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it does. But you know, it's just good to to greet people on uh, you know um, on Instagram and stuff like that. You know, you just get a little little shout out boom by yourself and okay, great. How you doing? Happy birthday. Congratulations, stuff like that. When you, you know, you're regarded as the greatest or one of the greatest rebounders to ever play the game. And this I'm, I'm fascinated by because this skill specifically, you have to be, and tell me if I'm wrong, so tough, so fearless to go, uh, go up against these just behemoth of men to grab that ball away. I mean, what does it take to be that good at rebounding? Focus is if it's, it's it's up to it's up to you if you want it. Mm. You know, <clears throat> if you want it, do it. <clears throat> you want to put the time and <clears throat> effort in, do it. And uh, pretty much, I did my time and effort, man, every night, every day. <clears throat> you know, I already knew that we had like um um a, a score, assists, <clears throat> and um, they need a rebound and defense. So basically, I trained myself to do that all the time. But there's there seems to be a fearless nature to it too, right? Because there are some guys that live on the perimeter and will never drive in. Oh, hell no. <clears throat> they will never drive in because, yeah, because you know, it's, it's more of a style thing, you know. They think they look good sitting out there in the three-point line and just sitting there shooting threes all day long. Mm. So that don't, that, that, that don't mean anything. If you don't win, that don't mean anything. What's the trash talking like down there under the <clears throat> Nothing. It do- no, doesn't no, happen? It don't happen. No, it don't mean anything. I don't mean anything. I mean, you can try to talk all you want to. The bottom line, are you winning? 
Right. Oh, you're one of the Marines? No, you're not. So I don't really listen to it. I know that you had said that you hit this growth spurt when you were 20 years old. Did you feel like, I mean, how quickly did you grow? Like a foot in a year? I say over summer. Over a summer? Yeah, I was just growing like every day, seems like, at 20 years old. And um, I just picked up the game very quickly. <clears throat> I was playing football at the time, you know, like, you know, playground football, stuff like that. High school, I played football. And um, I just started growing. And next thing you know, my sister was like 6'3", 6'1". And uh, <clears throat> they was bigger than me. But then all of a sudden, I started to grow, grow every day. I just want to tell the listeners, that's Dennis, <laughs> Dennis's phones. And he, the man has two flip phones, which I don't think flip, there's anything more yeah. fucking boss than that. Two flip phones. I love it. Are you not? Are you on like an anti-technology kick? No smartphone for you. I got a couple of smartphones. I just don't know how to use them, ah. which I don't want to use. I mean, this this is easy for me. This is very easy. I respect that. <clears throat> so, so was it weird growing into your new body that came overnight? No, it wasn't. It wasn't weird growing into my new body. My skin just stressed. Yeah, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> my skin just stressed. I just grew. And other than that, no new body. Same body, but you know, different size. So you talk about, because it's sort of stored, and I know you mentioned this in your book, that there was a really big transition for you in the early 90s where you decided to change your look and sort of like your entire outlook on life. What what was that inspired by? We're we doing 2020 now. I mean, <laughs> a little bit. This would be fun around here. Damn, maybe, maybe Dateline. Well, Dateline, right? <clears throat> now, what's that like? We can go back to strip clubs. No, no what's it like? I mean... I didn't try to change my identity. I think I just tried to change the person who I was. Mm. You know, I was a follower pretty much when I was with, with Detroit, which I actually needed it because I didn't know how to, to be a professional athlete. So um, <clears throat> when I went to San Antonio, then all of a sudden um, I became bored of the game. Mm. And I needed something to like reboot <clears throat> my um, <clears throat> willingness to want to play basketball anymore. So basically I was just walking to a mall in this – this six foot nine gay Mexican came to me and said, Dennis, let me, let me cut your hair. And I said, I, I thought it would just be cool and cut my hair. <clears throat> hour later, like hour, hour and a half later, he said, you know, okay, Dennis, I'm done. I was asleep at the time. In the chair, he said, I'm done. <clears throat> so I looked up when I, I said, wait a minute, is that real? So he said, yeah, how you like it? I said, uh, it's okay. It was a blonde mohawk. Wow. And I said, I thought you were supposed to cut my hair, not dye my hair, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Not dye my hair. I thought you were supposed to cut it. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I think a lot of people know the story. I left the mall. I was dating J.B. Hunt's daughter at the time. And um, we went to a movie after the mall, and we went to see Demolition Man. And I didn't know anything about that. I just went to a movie. <clears throat> we went there, sat down. Next thing you know, and I looked up at and she looked at me and started laughing. I was like, <laughs> like oh, okay, great. So <clears throat> it was uh, Wesley Snipes had a blonde mohawk. Wow. Wesley. Wesley like, endorsed it. Right. Not in, no, he endorsed it. I know anything about Wesley Snipes or about the no, movie. No, but it, it made you feel good about it. I'm like, wait a minute. I got that same thing. But mine was like, more like that. He was like real short. And I was, Yours so, was doper. Say it, <clears throat> Dennis. Yours was doper. I think, uh, yeah, it was cooler. But I think that. What really got me on that level of 
on a different path as far as anyone's in the NBA. I think <clears throat> when I went down to San Antonio for the uh, the day of Appreciation Day, and they asked me to speak, which I then I was sitting on the, I was on the rebel tip then. I was just I don't give a damn about you, you, you. I'm just on that tip then. He said, <clears throat> I don't give a damn if you guys like me or not. I'm, I'm here to win. I took my hat off, and people looked at me like out, and they saw, you know, the Antichrist. So fact that people looked at that, wow, that's new. And ever since that day, it was like this, it took off from that day. Does that get exciting, sort of the shock factor? Uh, back, then, <clears throat> back then, it wasn't a shock factor to me. I think it was the fact that it was something different, something fresh, and something that people haven't seen before. And I was doing things that the NBA wasn't, wasn't accepting at that time. You know, they told me I couldn't get tattoos. <clears throat> if I got more tattoos, they won't kick me out the league. If I got more piercings, they won't kick me out the league. If I say this, you will get kicked out the league. But I didn't pay attention to that. I just kept doing what I was doing. And then they realized, they said, wait a minute. This guy got something going on here. People are liking this. And they started seeing people and kids <clears throat> and banners and and stickers and stuff like that around the country. When people come to the game, they got dyed hair, they got different color hair, they got their nails done, they got piercings and stuff like that. So looking like that, <clears throat> and the NBA started said, "Wait a minute, he's doing something. People are actually liking it." So the more I kept doing it, and the more every state, every place I went to, people was you know, see people dyed hair, nails, makeup, da da da, da and he just picked it up, and and I never got a call again. Because basically, all of these these sports entities, if you're putting asses in the seats, you've got the golden pass, right? Pretty much. That's yeah. it. That's it. <clears throat> Mark Cuban did that to me when I went to Dallas. He said, Dennis, you know, I'm just hiring you just because I want you to put people in the seats. I said, that's, that's a given. Yes. That's not a problem. So, Do you think that there was a part of you when you went through this transition where you almost had to like let go of of the dentist before to become the player that you wanted to be? <clears throat> that was a whole other plan for me, just to try to find some type of, some type of identity to be something different. Not like that different, just more just different, just you know, be more in control of my life. But uh, I didn't expect dyeing my hair was gonna take a whole new meaning of, like, hey, Dennis Rodman, the entertainer, Dennis Rodman, the colorful cartoon, Dennis Rodman, the, the enterprise, or the, I didn't know it was going to do that. Yes. I thought it was going to just, okay, great. I'm good now. I'm ready to go. And so, but it just took off in a whole different direction. Do you ever feel, at that time, does there ever feel pressure <clears throat> to live up to the persona you've now created? No. No. Not at all. I mean, not at all. It's, it's too easy. It's just too easy, the fact that, knowing the fact that when you see NBA players or anyone that's in the entertainment field, knowing the fact that they were so scared and so <clears throat> worried of what people would say about, you know, they got tattoos, this and that, but now all of a sudden now you're seeing entertainers. I mean, they, they're going so far now as far as tattoos doing their face. It just doesn't even look good. I don't give a damn. It's just, that's way too far. It's basically saying I'm never going to have a nine-to-five job. That's what I said. <laughs> I said the other day to my my wife, so I said, dude, this, that's what you're saying to the world. You ain't never have a nine-to-five unless you have Unless you own Google or Amazon. Right. <laughs> Somebody, even then, you got a nine-to-five. Yeah, Jeff so, Bezos can get a face tattoo. Oh, easy. Shit. What, um, do, do you ever get annoyed with the idea that not only do we want our players to be great, but in this day and age, we want them to be politicians too, right? I think it sucks. I think it sucks the fact that, it, that athletes are not paid to be 
um, to be responsible for what's going on in the world. Mm. They're not paid for that. I mean, they're paid to understand what's going on in the world. But <clears throat> your first job is to be an athlete, to be an athlete, to do what you have to do to win for your employer and for the people that put that come to the game. That's your first responsibility. And then your, your family, and that, that's all those things. But to sit there and try to be an activist and try to play sports, that doesn't mix. It just it sucks. Well, I think it's fascinating when you see a player who we've paid and put our belief into to really take this game the most serious and perhaps they have a bad moment at a press conference after because of a tough loss or what have you and then we proceed to vilify them because maybe they had a bad moment it's like no this is what we paid for right we paid them to care this much <clears throat> you care that much but it's like you know it's it's a catch-22 you know, it's amazing when, when I was doing it back then in the 90s and stuff like that. I was telling people, I don't give a damn if you like me or not. But people liked that about me. Because mm-hmm. I, they didn't actually, they didn't actually <clears throat> wasn't talking to me. So, oh, Dennis, he did something really bad. Oh, my God, we should uh, crucify him. Now, today, everybody's got, some, everybody's got something to say about everything, about what people are saying about what's going on. <clears throat> and a lot, of, a lot of people, once a lot of athletes all are trying to justify They say something they believe in. All of a sudden, they got to come back the next day and retract it. I'm like, Really? See, that's what's a part of it because now, all of a sudden, now when you're getting paid all this money to say the right things, and when you say the wrong thing, that's going to affect you because that boss man is going to say, you know what, I don't like that. Mm. So now you got to go back and retract this so you can get your money. So it always comes down to money, you know, with an athlete. It always comes down to money, you know, because if they don't like you, they don't like you. <laughs> what I'm fascinated by when you're part of, um, a team and a trio that is considered the greatest to ever do it. And did you have any awareness while it was happening that how special it was, or were you just grinding day in, day out? Well, people don't realize that when you would see us back in the nineties, me, Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen, we really wasn't like, we was like, we was all about winning. Yes. About winning. We really didn't get really too over that just when we did was more like the championship because during the season was more like, Okay, great. We won. We won. But we ain't done yet. We're not done yet. Once we get to the finals, then we win. Now we'll celebrate. Now, now the air can come out the balloon. Yes, yes. We can breathe now. Mm. Stuff like that. But today's world is more like it's not even enough pressure for people to do anything because they can, they can pay so much money to do pretty much nothing to sit on the bench. And, uh, and I just think that a lot of guys don't really take it too seriously at all. So it, it, what you're saying is in the moment you couldn't look at the magnitude of what you guys were doing. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't that we, are, we, had, a, we had a common goal to win. Mm. Common goal. We didn't have a common goal to win 72 games. No, we had a common goal to win a championship. That was a common goal. And that we, we wasn't satisfied just because we made the playoffs. We made the final. We want to win. So once we knew that we got there and once we knew we were going to win, we had the confidence that we're going to beat this team in five, six games. We're going to beat them. We ain't going to seven games. It's going to go four or five. That's part four. It's going to go, and we're going to win and have a good time in the summertime. And hit strip clubs. <laughs> Vegas style. Oh, my gosh. I, I, before I die, Dennis, you and I, we got to Oh, go. we got we got to hang out in L.A., man. Girls, girls, girls. <laughs> you know, little girls and stuff like that. I hope that's okay, Paige, my wife. Hmm? 
uh, Ornay said Rosarita. Rosarito? <laughs> yeah, Rosarita. I've heard good things. So good things, right? <laughs> well, you got to go to Tahiti. Oh, not to Tahiti, right? Not Tahiti. That's that's the island, right? Yes. <laughs> Tijuana. Tijuana. Yeah. I God like damn, that. what they. <laughs> We could see some crazier shit than a strip club down I've in Tijuana. I've been thinking about all today, man. I've been thinking about other stuff today. Yeah. Um, Tijuana, is, right? Huh? No Tijuana. Yep. Is there a point where you start almost to fear the off-season in the respect of you're letting go of that regimented day-in, day-out work, and now you can just go balls out nuts? No, I still do the same thing. I still work out every day. <clears throat> you know, um, even... um. Even though I was doing movies, books, and everything in the world back then, I was still working out every day, doing my regimen and stuff like that. That kept me focused more than anything, been in the gym. You know, everything else was just secondary. You know, I've had one thing <clears throat> when I played in the NBA. I said, you know what? I got three hours to do a job and do it well. Yeah. I got 21 hours. I got 21 hours to do one thing, to be me. Yes. That was my whole thing right there. I got three hours to go do my job and do it well. I got 21 hours to be me. <laughs> when you think about someone like Jordan or you look at Tom Brady or what have you, what I'm always fascinated by is after all the wins and after all the games and accolades, they still wake up the next morning wanting to win. You want to win? You have to. <clears throat> if, you, if you're competitive, you want to win. Jordan's competitive if it's a card game. Yes. If it's a card game, he's anything at a word. If it's a flip of a coin, he'll bet you a hundred thousand. Well, <laughs> so, he's so a he, gambling addict. I, I mean, I mean, say, but he's just competitive. Like on a golf course, he's just competitive. I mean, even playing horse is competitive. Anything. I mean, I've seen nobody like that, dude, in my life. I mean, he competitive with everything in practice. This, that, weightlifting. I mean, whatever. You know, we we even, we even had a um, competition who had the the, the less body fat <laughs> every day in practice. So, so you eventually, you know, you're in the midst of all this, and then you've had some pretty storied relationships. Is is dating and and being in a relationship with famous people more fun? It don't matter, man. They lay down. It's nice to date Madonna. Well, I guess they lay down the same. Yeah, (laughs) it don't really matter what the name is. I mean, Madonna was was cool. McConnell was cool. a lot of the girls that uh, I don't mention, but they uh, it was cool. I mean, just it's a name, just a name, just like me. I'm an athlete. I'm just well known. That's about it. I'm another person. Um, but is there? I mean, I would imagine when a woman of Madonna's stature takes an interest in you, that's got to feel so validating. About right? what? Just that someone this fabulous and famous and world renowned wants to be with me. Mm. Was that a thing? Did that satisfy something inside you? I never thought it like that. I never see the Madonna. Okay, great. <clears throat> I always, you know, when I when I was dating her, and then when I actually talked to her, I see she said, "Why you don't like me?" I said, "Well, one, your music sucks. It's bubblegum." So basically, okay, great. So basically, that's the truth. Back then, it was bubblegum, but she was selling a lot of records. She was doing, you know, she's very successful, famous, worldwide known. You know, I just like to for for <clears throat> charismatic and. Uh, Creativity, that's what I liked about her creativity. But and then we was just to me, it was just normal to me. How did she take it when you said her music sucked? Uh, she just laughed at it, really. She laughed, she's all oh, Dennis, Dennis. Just, oh, I know, it's just whatever. I just I never listened to her music though. <clears throat> but 
know, we got along pretty well, but it ended so in a, in a good way. Is it impossible for two famous people <clears throat> to stay in a relationship? Not really. I think that uh, I think a lot of people today take image as far as like being being in a in a limelight too seriously because if you do something wrong and if someone your partner sees it and find out all of a sudden now it's a whole like regret man <clears throat> resentment <clears throat> why all of a sudden now let's go to court and let's go to court and get divorced quick and it's more like it's more like it's an obligation for people to, to be married to a famous person or to an entertainer. But do you think also there's an element of like you know, someone who's a great athlete or a great entertainer, it takes so much self-focus to a certain extent. Like, can there only be one star in a relationship for it to sustain? I, I wish it was. <clears throat> I wish I did have someone that's, that could compare with me, compatible with me. I'd be like, wow, uh, your wife is famous. I know. What's <laughs> <Right>. up? <laughs> What's up? So she got her, own, got her own thing. She ain't got a bitch to complain, you know, about this, about that. She got her own thing going on. I'll support you. She support me. Great. I'm just, whatever. She's just, you know, whoever it is, it's a great. It's, she's cool to me. You know, she's, I mean, everyone loves her. Great. Cool. I, th I think that's amazing. You told Madonna that her music sucks. Oh, yeah. It just goes to show, man, it's it's a it's a tale as old as time. You be mean to girls and they like you more. Well, no, <laughs> no I really, I see, there you go. Now, see, we talked about that earlier about you and your wife. Oh, I got to see this right thing because my wife hears this. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm in a hell's hole right now. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So I got to ask you a question about your little thing. What, what you think, you know? You feel free. What, what I'm just saying, you know, how you're not. Are they said about Jewish mothers? Uh, well, Jewish mothers are something different, right? Compared to other mothers yes. in different different you know cultures, that like Jewish mothers are ooh. Let's get to that certain age, boys. And they, <laughs> it's okay. They're their own breed. They're the old breed, you know. Jewish Jewish fathers are different. I I don't know. I didn't meet mine. Well, I didn't meet, <laughs> I didn't meet mine. So, you know, black dads are different. You know, white dads are different. But it's like culture today is pretty much. Pretty unified now. I mean, it's not, you don't see too many race, racial tension. And people keep talking about racial stuff. It's, dude, that's just so insane. But, you know, I don't like talking about it, but that's far as I'm going to go with it. Well, I think, too, and this is just speaking from my own experience, there's been a shared experience, or at least I can speak from my own, where I've always felt like this this shared experience with my African-American friends, like mm -hmm. being a Jewish guy. And I don't know if that's just growing up as, like, a Jewish kid in New York who was a hip hop head who didn't have a dad. <laughs> right. And so like, it just so happened that my friends who were having a similar experience happened to be African-American. But right. I think there's a weird, we, I, I can only speak from Jewish guys. We feel a camaraderie, whether it's there or not. Right. It's there. We said it earlier. I said, Jewish guys, get, I mean, Jewish people get along with black people pretty much. Mm. But, um, you know, just in the same thing with white people and, you know, Asians and, and Hispanic, we all get along, man. These days, I mean, it just—it's just what you see on TV and what you hear. It just makes it makes it worse. Have you uh, have you ever heard that Tracy Morgan quote where he says, um, "Every Jewish man adopts one black guy, and I'm glad it was Lauren Michaels who adopted me." Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I said that earlier. I said there does a black entertainer that's a jewish lawyer that's <laughs> a jewish lawyer right there right behind him so yeah that's, that's a true statement um so if i may can i meet um ambassador rodman right now can we well you want to uh, you want to go there huh can we uh, dip just, in a well, little you're going to ask me one question i mean i just ask, ask me one question about that i, I don't, don't want to get in depth with that anymore i'm, I'm done talking about it yeah. but i'm just going to ask me one question maybe two 
<laughs> well, I, uh, whatever's going to keep you talking the most. Mm-hmm. What well, are you inspired to talk about? What are you tired of talking about when it comes to this? What's still relevant to you today? No, I just don't get tired of talking about it. It's just, you know, I just don't want people to sit there, okay, great, because this is not the end. Mm. I'm going back. You know, I just don't like talking about it. I was like, oh, God, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, he's a cool guy. Great, cool. You know, when I, when I used to say that in the beginning, they thought I was fucking nuts. <laughs> they thought I was nuts. I said, oh, I'm not crazy. You'll see. They'll get, the, they'll get together. Donald Trump will get together with this guy. No one believed me. And I said, yep, what happened? They got together. And so. just for some context for the listeners, we're talking about Kim Jong-un right. and North Korea, right. which in 2013 you visited? Yeah, I've been there six, seven times. I mean, you're in such a small class of people who have mm. had the opportunity to sort of explore that land. I think Donald Trump was so pissed at the fact that I got to meet the guy first. Mm. And I think the fact he put that ban on, <clears throat> on America is not going it because of me. It wasn't because that people was, was getting detained or whatever, which he didn't even knew anything about. He didn't try to do anything about it until I started to go over there and made awareness of what's going on, which I was like, wasn't going on for that, but it's more like he wants to be the only guy to do this and that. Like I said, I love Donald Trump. I like the way he talks because I could call him Donald. Mm. You know, I don't call him president. You Screw knew that. Him, you knew him <laughs> before. Yeah, before, right. How, where did you guys know each other from? I just bumping into each other all you know over the years well and uh, from what i've heard donald loves famous people he loves he being loves around oh yeah he does yeah he does <clears throat> and donald wish he was like 40 years old these days <laughs> he wish he was 40 <laughs> Shit, i don't know how old he was 60 70 years old i don't know but and what were the takeaways when you knew him before the presidency oh uh, we still hung out yeah we still hung out man we talked we talked shop that's about it and so then in 2013, you're invited to North Korea for to do an exhibition for basketball. Mm, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is that true or am I wrong? <clears throat> that's, that's where I first met him. First Kim Jong-un. I, I didn't know anything about him. Was there reticence about going there beforehand? No. No. They asked me. I said, okay, great. Let's go. I thought it was just another trip. I knew nothing about North Korea. And so... so- so no one warned you before? If they warned me, they would have warned me back then. I still would have went. Mm. I still would have went. Um, I, didn't, <clears throat> I didn't expect when I got over there that what was, what was going to take place. I didn't expect that. I was just, just part of the team. And I was sitting there. I was going to play because I was injured, <clears throat> which I didn't want to play anyway. I just went over there just to hang out. <clears throat> but before the game started, they called me to go upstairs and sit upstairs in, in, in the bleachers, not the bleachers, the stand, <clears throat> and at this table. And I said, okay, while we're here, he said, well, they want you to sit here. So that's when the, that's when this guy walks out and everybody, 20,000 people stood up, <clears throat> applauding for 20 minutes straight. Really? Crying and falling over the chairs and da 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 I'm like, wow. And at first, I thought they was doing it for me. <laughs> so I swear to God, I, swear they been. I thought they was doing it for me. I'm like, oh, they doing it for me. So I, and I looked up, I said, who, who is that little guy over there? This guy, like, yay tall. He's and not he's a way, tall he's guy. Way, he's, yeah, he's, he's about five foot one, two. Girthy. No matter. So he's waving and stuff like that. I said, who is that guy? And I still haven't met the guy. I don't know who the guy is. So they, uh, <clears throat> they said, um, that's the leader. I said, the leader of what? <laughs> the leader of what? It's the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I said, what leader? He said, so they said, I said, leader, I said, Marshall. 
all right. So he walks over, and he sits beside me, and um, I'm st I still don't know who this guy is. And then the guy said, well, Dennis, that's the, someone, that, they call him the marshal, the leader. So the president, like Donald Trump, he's like that over there. So that's the guy. So I just look at him, <clears throat> talking, and he just started leaning, talking to me, saying, in, in Korean, he said, basically what he's saying there, so what do you think about our country? Do you like our country? And I said, yeah, I think it's cool. It's different, but it's cool. He's you know, speaking yeah. through a translator? <clears throat> translator. <clears throat> so Does he I'm speak gonna, any English? No, not even close. Yeah. No, so then he just started talking to me about, <clears throat> about basketball and Chicago Bulls. He's obsessed, oh, right? He's obsessed with the Bulls, Chicago. And, um, and we just start talking, start laughing. If you see the photos of me and him laughing and joking, we got to know each other like in two hours. And... And that day, I think I stayed with him for a week. And we just talked shop and played basketball. We were horses. We skied together. <clears throat> we did everything. Now, uh, when you say stay with him, you stayed at his palace? His... No, I stayed at his, his hotel. Mm. And I had the hotel floor in the hotel. So he made sure that I had, like, armed guards with me at all times. And what's what's the feeling when you land in North Korea? Do you immediately feel like you are in a place th that you don't recognize? I, I figured I'd sit some place like <clears throat> Japan, Hong Kong, Tokyo, because <laughs> it looks just like that. Right. You know, so they build it up so much, and it's, it's more like a real city now. Mm. So he's done a lot for the, the country. So I, you know, people haven't seen that, but I've seen it, and I think the last couple of years, I think he's done more and more to help his people, even though people say he doesn't do provide for the people. <clears throat> I think he's done a lot of what I've seen. And I've, I've heard you speak to the fact of like, whenever you, you're dealing with people like this, that um, let's just say have a negative relationship with the U.S., that you were inspired to, that on, only by starting a conversation could we perhaps find a solution. Right. I mean... <clears throat> I've always said when I went over to North Korea, I said, you know, all he wants to do is talk and talk about something to have an open communication, <clears throat> but nobody was listening to me. I said, he don't, he don't want war. He told me that he don't want war. He just wanted to have an open communication somewhat. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes. And people looked at me like I was crazy. He said, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You just over there playing basketball. I said, well, yeah, I do. I'm right with the guy 24-7 pretty much. And he's telling me what he wants. He gave me a list of what he wants. He said, this ain't real. You wrote this yourself. You wrote this yourself. I said, no, I didn't. I said, you know what? Screw it. I said, you want to see the video, what he did? So that proved to you that he, I actually did that. He actually did that. But, uh, <clears throat> I, and I've said this to people <clears throat> a long time. I said, mm, I said he wants to come to America really, really bad. I'm sure he's, his father was obsessed with America. Yeah, my father was obsessed with, but he, want to, he, he wants to come himself really, really bad. <clears throat> And I asked him, do you want to go to, he was, I want to go to, I want to go to the United States. So I said, all right. He said, well, I said, where you want to go? <clears throat> of course, I think you can say Chicago. Yeah. He said, no, I want to go to New York. I said, well, I said where you want to go to New York? I want to go to the Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden, New York? Like, oh, okay, whatever. What if he was like El Paso? You know, he's just got a weird kink for. I don't care. I mean, it's more like, okay, great. And people trip out when I say stuff like this. I say, you know what? If he came to. Nor, I mean, we came to America. He was the most famous, powerful man in the world. <clears throat> He's, they always call him the most powerful guy in the world right now. But it's like, if he came to America, he'd be the most famous person to ever visit America. 
If people don't believe he's, he's going to do that, yeah, he is. You think he would? Oh, yeah. Anybody gonna, it's no one, but it's no one, if they try to do anything, try to assassinate him here in America, I doubt it. But is there also a certain level of, you know, culturally and from where our two countries come from, it's so different that, I don't know, does he really have any interest in ending his party in this, in the respect of his life is perfect there. And I don't think he wants to do anything to disrupt it. So I think these moves of like shooting off a missile or whatever, No, you get into politics on that. I guess I don't want to get into politics with North Korea because, you know, a lot of people want me to get engaged in that. Which the fact is that they've been doing that for years and years and years. Right. And, no, and nobody's really paid attention to it. But all of a sudden now, it's it's like, oh, my God, he shot another missile. Great, thanks. Mm. So what? If, if, that, if that was the case, he'd want to shoot a missile to to, to, to America. What, you think he would have already did that? I mean, everybody keeps saying, oh, you saw the missile, too. And I'm like, oh, no. okay, what? I don't think okay. he wants to end the party. I think he wants to have, I think he's living his best life out there, oh, and he doesn't that. want to do anything to disrupt it. Right? No, he's not. There's no one going to ever try to take anything away from North Korea. It's like <clears throat> it's like you being a president and own the country. Own the country. I mean, literally own the country, and, and, and everyone's trying to t- tell you around the world, why don't you come join us? Be a part of us. What are you going to say? No thanks. No thank you. Sure. <clears throat> no thank. I've, I've been doing this. I've been. We've been doing this my whole family for like hundred years. So okay, we're doing well. I'm just changing gradually. We get that. You know. Mm. Okay, we're okay. We're okay. So love is good. Great. So <clears throat> I think that's where he's at. I think he just inherited his uh, dynasty with his father, and uh, pretty much that's, <clears throat> he's pretty much like I said. He's changing. You know, he, he loves it. The twenty first century, and that's about it. No more North Korea. You no, got no, it. No, no, no more North Korea. No problem. Uh, just, uh, and this doesn't really have to do with North Korea, but did you do a little boozing at the state dinner when you were at North Korea? Because I heard that speech you gave, and it was one of the most epic things I've ever heard. Uh, you mean the, the, oh, the booze? <laughs> we all drank that day. We all was drinking. I mean, I think everybody, that whole that whole table was drinking. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where, hey, hey, let's have a good time. It was all night party, so, but... Yeah, we all drinking. It's, it's cool. Can you do you remember the speech you gave? There have been a lot of speeches I've done over the years. <laughs> so I don't remember the yesterday's speech, but it's but it's like um, like I, you know I'm do, I'm gonna do something next time I go to North Korea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that's no one's ever done as an American, probably in the world, it's ever done over there. So I, I can't tell you, but you're gonna you're gonna see it. Let 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 the curious podcast listeners know. I just give them a little insight. We we deserve well, it. Oh, no, no, we don't a, deserve it because that's that, oh, no, sneak peek. Okay, great <laughs> sneak peek on my. Oh, come on now, you know. I mean, stuff like you know. He said, Dennis, if you ever get married, come to my country. I'll marry you in front of two hundred thousand people. Stuff like that. So he said he'll do the sermon. Wow. He said he'll do it. I said, wow, great. I said, well, I'm never getting married. <laughs> Just letting you know. I mean, like like that. But uh, he said, either way, whatever you want, you have to keep it our, our country. You know, you're always welcome. Wherever you are in the world, we make sure that you're okay. I'm th- I'm thinking you and Madonna, Pyongyang, 200,000 people watching. Beautiful. Oh, really? You think so? <laughs> Madonna, Madonna, no, Madonna, whatever. Um, thank you, man. Cool, man. This was great. It's cool, man. Anytime, Thanks. man. Anytime. Oh, one last question, may I? It's what what I ask everyone on the podcast. Hmm. What are your one or two Dennis Rodman commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you would want to impress upon someone else? Like 
give me some typo. Just things that are important to you that you would want to share with someone if you could only, you know, tell them one or two things. Something important to me? Maybe something you tell your kid. Oh, I my kids. <clears throat> it's not like I tell my kid that's important because, you know, before I get there, someone's already told them something that is important. Mm. I think what I say to a lot of people today, I think they have um, – they have a keen ear to what I say because they think I've done so much around the world. And so if I say, you know, always keep an open ear about things you think is important. Don't always, don't always have an open ear when it's not important. Because, you know, something that's not important, I don't really pay attention to. I mean, it's more like entertainment for me. Mm. The entertainment for me. Well, something that's important that's going to benefit, benefit, uh, benefit you in the future, listen to it. You know, if it's something that's more comical, just some everyday life, that's pretty much that's a day's adventure. If you and I are ever in New York City <laughs> with Kim Jong Un, can we go to a strip club? You can do anything you want. Three of us. We could do <clears throat> we could do anything you want. Let us have had offers to go to, to North Korea, and the highest bid has been one million dollars. It'd be a good time, right? No, one go, million dollars. Imagine, go imagine to me. scores in Midtown, I, I can, three of us. I can, I can sell four tickets to go to, and make four million dollars just doing that. I'll get us a nice plate of like chicken tenders, so mozzarella chicken sticks. Tenders, mozzarella sticks. Yeah. That's not kosher, right? It's kosher. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't kosher, right? Come on. Sure. Oh, man, you can't, you can't eat that at, at your house, right? Well, I'm not that. If you have like McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell, oh, you haven't been a lot around a lot of Jews lately, Dennis. Uh, we eat know. it all. You eat it all, <laughs> right? You better Masa believe balls. that too. <laughs> matzo balls, right? I eat that. I eat that chicken and rice soup. My kid just tried matzo ball soup for the first time. Well, yep, loved it. They like it. I like it. It's a prerequisite, really. Uh, well, it has to be right. It's <laughs> on the menu when you're born. Den- Dennis, <laughs> you and I are going to get along. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you. All right, brother. That was it. That was Dennis Rodman, right? Was I right? Yeah, it starts off a little rough, but then we fucking dug in. We did it. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great new year. Love you. Thank you. See you in 2020. Bye.